Hello, this is Drake Mickelson with The Cage Equation. This episode, we're going to be talking about the retirement plan. I want to give a quick reminder once again, if anybody has any questions or comments, cageequation at gmail.com. That is C-A-G-E-Q-U-A-T-I-O-N at gmail.com is our email. Um, this episode, we lean heavily once again into another conversation about Lord of the Rings and Dune. So hopefully you enjoy that too. But anyway, here is the retirement plan. Welcome to The Cage Equation with Malcolm Mickelson and me, Drake Mickelson. Each episode, we will assign where to blame lays in spoiling a perfect Nicholas Cage performance. To apply The Cage Equation, we start with Cage's perfect 100 and subtract a Metacritic score, which gives us the points nicked, which we will split between the director, writers, Cage stars, etc. This episode, we watched The Retirement Plan, directed and written by Tim Brown. Besides Nicholas Cage, it also stars Ron Perlman, Ashley Green, Jack Earl Haley, Ernie Hudson was also in this one, former Ghostbuster. And it was released in 2023, just recently. I think it was released in like 1,700 screens, was made for under $20 million, and had a box office of $751,000, and became the lowest grossing Nicolas Cage movie ever released in movie theaters. In the retirement plan, we have Nicolas Cage playing the ex-CIA assassin whose daughter and granddaughter come to the Cayman Islands to find him so that they can hide away from the bad guys, played by Jackie Earl Haley, who is also known as who, Malcolm? Warshak. Warshak. There's, there's the Ubus uh, Mafia that runs numbers, drugs, and everything else. And so they're going to come, and they're going to kill the daughter, and now they're going to kill the granddaughter, and they're going to kill the husband. And Nicolas Cage has to protect them all because he can, because he is a CIA assassin, one-man army. And that's the whole plot to the whole movie. Malcolm, how did you like the movie? Well, first, Ernie Hudson is a current Ghostbuster, sir. My apologies. Uh, I like the last one a lot. Yeah, he was. Oh, no, that's the original Ghostbuster. Uh, He might not be a current one. Oh, yeah, Spirit Unleashed. He was in it. As a voice. Just a voice. I think I also actually saw him in the new one with the Frozen where they freeze New York that's coming out. He's actually in that one, too. Themes have have taken off in that series, freezing all of New York now. I like this one a lot. I think Nicolas Cage was doing, maybe he had just seen Rick and Morty. That's the vibe I was getting when it started with the, on top of the gray hair. But whatever the voice was he was doing, it, it was, it, it came across as just like a, I'm not going to say bad because he could do a Rick voice if he wanted to. He didn't want to be derivative. So he he changed it slightly. Bit of an homage. I know that still is technically derivative. It's the definition of derivative, but not when he does it. No. Well, he finds the nuance. This did make me realize, how old is Ron Perlman? Ron Perlman is old. 1950. Okay. So he is 73 years old. Two things I noticed about Ron Perlman in this. The shoulder pads. So I noticed shoulder pads. Yeah. And I noticed that every time he needed to run, they gave him an excuse to be hunched over. But not just when he ran. Also, walking out of the room, I think in the first scene, mm-hmm. I had looked down and hadn't seen that that was Ron Perlman. I was thinking, who is this old guy shuffling, hunched over out of the room? So I re as Ron Perlman. Um, 
I didn't realize she was that old. I mean, 73. He's got another 80, 90 years ahead of him with modern science, like Ricky Bobby said. But well, Hellboy, he was old in Hellboy. Actually, I mean, if you go back and watch watch the Hellboy thing too, he didn't really have the a lot of the physique. I guess he he would have been like 50, right? Yeah, he was in his 50s during that. He's lived a real life, so he actually shows the age. He's seen Season of the Witch, which was very physically demanding. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, sorry. We usually start with Nick Cage. I just made me a little sad seeing Pablo's way around. Bobo. My boy Bobo. Bobo. That was a great name. And Nicholas Cage was supposed to be playing. Wasn't he supposed to be playing 70 in this movie? I think they were supposed to be the same yeah. age, yeah. Was, Ron Perlman played a character named Bobo before. It seems like a Ron Perlman character. I, I've just heard Bobo and like, I don't know. Anywho, Nicolas Cage doing a non-derivative version of Rick. Um, I don't see him. I don't think he, I think he only did this because Ron Perlman, because it wasn't a lot different for him from other things he's done. Okay. So here's what, I don't know. Do we want to start with that just purely on his performance or do we want to go into how yeah, this yeah, movie yeah. was made? Because there's a lot of things. Let's start with his performance. Okay, so his performance was pretty good. Uh, I mean, for him, it was pretty good. It wasn't probably his best one, but it was still blazing. Um, the you could see what he was trying to do the whole time, but I I thought the funny thing was is they're trying to show him the way he was talking to the kid, like he was uncomfortable talking to a kid. Yeah, it just seemed like he he would be uncomfortable talking to anybody. I thought he was. I thought he was an alcoholic recluse because of all the things he did, all the things he had seen and done as a, I guess they never specifically say what he did for the CIA. Well, they no, do, right? He was a hitman. He was the guy he was an assassin. who people no one else could get to. Yeah. And that's when, yeah, Ernie, I think Ernie Hudson knows one of his lines was like, I'm not saying that he was an assassin, but he was an assassin. Well, Ernie Hudson in that scene is trying to reassure the daughter, I think. And he reassures her by saying, look, you're being hard on the guy. He killed so many people, so many people. And you just, you can't understand how many people this guy killed. If you needed a guy dead, we called him. And so just take it easy on the guy. What kind of defensive character is that? <laughs> well, then I'd be less likely to talk to him after. Oh, the whole goes into like, it's like, oh, it's almost like the guy was writing a bad movie, realized he's writing a bad movie, then had one of his character actually go outside of the movie and start commenting on how bad the movie is that he's written by saying that in the, you know, if this was a movie, this would be the part where the bad writing would actually say all the stuff I'm about to say. And the guy used that as an excuse to have bad writing. I, I, so this is a Rick and Morty episode. It, it, yeah, it's just, it just winds back on itself, but it's a badly written train, the train episode, basically. Oh, I I didn't enjoy the train episode. <laughs> Too meta. It is the whole thing was was weird, but I think Nicholas Cage was was really good. I I did enjoy a couple of things. His fight scenes. It was nice to see that he actually did some pretty good choreography, fighting choreography in there. Um, even though he's beating up Ron Perlman at one time, it was relatively believable through the whole thing. I thought that was one of the few things that was was done really well. Was actually the the one-on-one fighting. Also, that it was it was a brutal way. Every death was brutal. It seemed like. yeah, it's like that. That's all the guy knew how to write was ways for people to die. And he just decided I'll just show it very explicitly. Guy, I think that guy falls out on his head from like a three-story building. Yeah, that was a yeah. yeah. The tone of the movie was all over the place too. It was a, 
it was described as a, when, when I pulled it up, it was described as a comedy. So I wouldn't have guessed, again, maybe this goes back to what you were saying. Maybe the finished movie, they said, hey, we have to say this is a comedy. Maybe. We don't have a choice. Yeah. And then, and so Nicholas Cage's, I think he got the hunch thing down because I think he was actually copying Ron Perlman's look, I think was how he's decided to be old is just mimic Ron Perlman. I mean, he just breezed through it. He was just being basically kind of a movie star. Uh, got the movie star hair, got the Hawaiian shirts on, the well-fitted, the well-fitted clothing, and killed a bunch of people. Yeah, which is yeah. No, he did good. It was no, actually, I didn't mind. I didn't mind any of the actors. I don't think. I think they all performed up to what you would expect mm-hmm. from that person. I think this is going to end up being a case where. We have to decide at what point the actor should have just said no to the guy writing and directing the movie. Yeah. I did. There was, there was a lot. Yeah. And then once again, we got the writer and director, which is, I think in these later stages of Nicolas Cage, when he's trying to make a buck, this seems to be, he gets the writer director. That's, guy. They have to, right? You save it. You save so much money. They just feel lucky to work with Nicolas Cage. He brings along Ron Perlman. Actually, Ron Perlman was attached to this first, right? Was he? I didn't even look at that. I just noticed. This. I thought he was. It's the same uh, two production companies that Nicolas Cage has been churning these movies out. So Nicolas Cage did a good job. I think his hair person failed him in the second half of the movie, though, because when he left the Cayman Islands and they went to that second part, his hair was suddenly completely different. So I don't know if they're whatever wig they were using. They got maybe it didn't work in as much as action much as, scenes. Or I something. don't know what happened. Um, Ron Perlman was great. But if we want to go, let's go with the actors first, because I think Ron Perlman was great. Ron Perlman, the problem with Ron Perlman is he's so good that he can make anything he's saying sound good, which kind of shows up everyone else around him for being not very good. Well, he made me think this was a way more interesting movie than it was. Yeah. Uh, there was a, if anyone else is Bobo, it doesn't come across as this guy being really introspective and possibly, you know, turning things around, which... Yeah, I didn't. So I thought there was going to be something with Ron Perlman. And I would like to say the writer was good enough to realize that he was kind of throwing us off the trail with how suddenly Ron Perlman dies. Oh. But I think what happened is the guy was just killing off a side character and had no idea that that was the most interesting part of anything that's happened. How are you writing this movie? How are you directing and writing this movie? And you watch Ron Perlman do this entire action, the entire thing with the girl all the way through it. And then you have that death scene. In a death scene when he's not even trying to kill, actually trying to kill the girl. Yeah, we should explain because I, I know everyone watches the movies before they listen or multitude of listeners. So Ron Perlman kidnaps Nicolas Cage's granddaughter. He's, he's the underling for Rorschach in this. Yes. And he has granddaughter and the whole time he's talking to her about Othello and what's the other... Iago, Iago is, is the Othello yeah. one. And then he also talks about um, Oliver West. Yeah. And the whole time he's, you know, kind of building this relationship with her and talking about how, you know, sometimes you have to do bad things. And again, being, you know, an introspective underling who might not want to do what he has to do. Rorschach tells him he has to kill the girl for some reason. That makes no sense. No sense why you'd kill the girl at that point in the movie, because they still need things from Nicolas Cage and his daughter. Tells him to go kill the girl. They walk off into the into a forest that came from somewhere. They're on the beach in Florida, and then they're in a forest. He decides not to kill her, and then she kicks him in the shin for the seventh time and takes his gun and runs away. He follows, and then the mom, this sounds insane, the mom who's trapped in the bottom of a boat that's filling with water that Ernie Hudson has 
that they locked her in here for some reason to hide, comes up with a spear gun and shoots him through the chest. It makes no sense. Also, Ron Perlman took that bump. He actually went over the side. I can guarantee that because he fell like a 70-year-old man over the side of a boat. Yeah. He gets stuck and has to like push him. He like rolled himself up the side of the boat. And yeah, so Ron Perlman, I, once again, Ron Perlman is the whole thing. Why are they killing him? I was waiting for the, him and Nicolas Cage to end up teaming up together. Why do they put them back to back shooting all the bad guys? There's there's one too many bad guys, I think is the issue. I think you put Rorschach into Hector, I think is her yeah. name. You give Rorschach into that role, because that's the role I thought he was in the entire time. Oh, sorry. An aside, how will we not discuss this? <laughs> the character reveal with the name flashing up it should be in every movie. Yeah, but it was done so every bad. Movie. And like it worked. It looked like it was from a TV show. Yeah, it looked like a like a low budget TV show. Well, it would look. I could have made those animations. It wasn't even animations. They just froze it and did like a little blur thing in the back. I think it was based off of um. What it reminded me of is Have you seen the Losers? Yeah, yeah. With the I think the Losers took it from somewhere else. Though. Yeah, I mean it's been taken all over the place. But that when I saw that the way they did it was really, and then they put like the look. It was pretty dead on the color, the color, the comic that they used, like Comic Sans or whatever for the name. Yeah. We get names for everybody. And I was like, I don't need the names for all these people. Okay. How are we going to, how are we going to start in on this movie? Because there are so many places to start. Well, we should explain that there has not been four critics reviews of this movie. Yes. And so we do not have a Metacritic review. For the first time. I, I'm bad at translating stars and out of tens. And so we're just going to use. The, the the people's the people's choice awards of uh-huh. 5.2 and we're gonna make it a 52 yeah although that is skewed by a seven there's only three people's <laughs> votes also but the nice thing was at least it was an enjoyably bad movie oh yeah it, after the mandolin this is where his movies are fun this is like you because he has two kinds of movies right he has these which are definitely not just for money and then he has Real movies like the the dream scenario coming out. Yeah, <sighs> but uh, these these ones are fun. Yeah, and it was it was good. So okay, so let's go through. First of all, I think uh, we're gonna once again. This is gonna go pretty heavily skewed towards the writer director again. I don't know what this guy was doing. The whole plot was convoluted. There was too many bad guys. Been Rick Fox at the end as the oh, they did didn't they? Yeah, and he's like the he's running for senator or something, senator or mayor or who knows what. But he's kind of dirty, right? Because he's he's getting this hard drive to use to blackmail people and become senator to set up the sequel, I assume. Yeah, but but he's on the right side. He's like he's like the good he's like a a good dirty politician, and working for him underneath him is is Nicholas Cage's old boss in the CIA, and her and what's his name from? Uh, oh my gosh, what was the guy that was the the mole inside the CIA? Joel David Moore from Bones. Bones. I don't know what you know him from, yeah. but that's where I know him from. And he's in there. And oh, he's in Avatar too. So there's a bunch of people collecting paychecks here. Uh, Julie Haley, which also is, he's from a bunch of older movies. Um, Rorschach. Rorschach. And that's where he's based. I think most people would know him from. If you are my age, you would know him from a couple of uh, bicycling movies and some other stuff when he was younger, Bad News Bears. But Nightmare on Elm Street, Shutter Island. Yes. Well, in Shutter Island, you couldn't even 
recognize it because he was completely. I did, but it's because I was kind of obsessed with Watchmen for a little bit. Yeah. And so I think I could have recognized him from eight. He's a, when he got Nightmare on Elm Street, I really thought he had found his, his niche there yeah. of just being a creepy dude. And then it, I don't know if he ever made, it wasn't a bad movie. It was literally the old one remade. It's been kind of like a, he's a B act, a B movie actor. I think he just kind of does what he wants to do. He was in, um, there's a, a TV show called Preacher, which was like a, a fantasy sci-fi thing with, which was really good. He was in that. I think he was in a couple other ones too, but he always plays a weird guy, which he does pretty good. He's got that face. Yeah. Yeah. So he, yeah, he was the kind of the go-to bad guy, but then there's like five other layers of people. And then there was Hector that was, oh, the big reveal of Hector is Hector is actually a woman. Okay, you can't call it a big reveal because they say Hector and then cut to Hector (laughs) 30 seconds later. What are you revealing? What was the point of any of this? Well, there wasn't a point. I think they were trying to make it like seem like a bigger deal than it was. But the problem is if you don't have the the money to effectively show all these different levels of things going on, because they would show like a scene of of, um, DC and then they go inside the office building and darken the windows a little bit. I think there's only like four sets. Yeah. I think it was all filmed on the same four sets. Well. Moved around. But, because the DC looked a lot like the hotel. I'm going to give you the reveal on what, what I looked on this whole thing. Here's what was actually going on. It was produced by a couple different people. And one of them was Productivity Media. And there was two other guys that are presidents of Darius Films. Who have a multi-picture deal with the Cayman Islands. <laughs> Is that why it was? Partially based on the Cayman Islands. Well, everything was in the Cayman Islands. I think they shot the entire thing in the Cayman Islands, and then they would do exterior shots and then go back to the Cayman Islands. So that whole thing was, that's why the whole thing was going on. And then that's also why when Nicolas Cage, I don't know if you noticed that when he came out, when he's about to fly and leave and supposedly go to wherever they, I think they were going, supposedly going to Florida, even though I think they just stayed at the Cayman Islands, he uh, stopped aside right before he got into the airplane did a nice pose, put his sunglasses on, and in the background, you could see Cayman Island Airlines. So it was like a, it, part of it was a commercial. It was a paid ad commercial, yeah. yeah. So that's where a lot of this is going. And I think, it, I would say 90% of these people that were, um, like, why is Ryan Perlman doing this? Why are the other people doing it? I think everyone basically got a, a month vacation in the Cayman Islands for doing the movie. Not a bad deal. No. And also, I don't think they have to pay taxes when they're doing it there either. I would guess. Well, I think you still, if you come back, I think you still have to pay tax. Do you? I don't know how that works. I don't think you pay income tax when you get it, but I think you still probably pay federal tax. Yeah. Right? I, that's probably an optimistic view of the American tax system. I think though. you might be. I don't know if any of these guys are poor enough to pay taxes. Well, obviously, Nicholas Cage is, or else he wouldn't be doing these movies because that's the entire reason why he's doing them because he had the tax bills come up on his. He didn't get the good accounts. No, no, no. He said he's done with that. He's done with that, but say so wouldn't do. He wouldn't do that. No well, more. I think this movie is part of the last, the last bit of it, though. Well, he also said he's going to stop making movies. He's on, he's on the TV soon. Oh, is he? So maybe maybe that is the sign that he paid off the dinosaur skull that he bought. Yeah, he said he's got four or five left in him. He's moving to TV. I don't know what is the next thing. I, there's a lot of things he's been rumored to be getting into now. Well, if he says he's moving on, he's only got four or five more, but I think he's made enough movies for the next five years. We're, we're getting on his side, but it's a good it's one. A good. Uh, upcoming, we have four. You got Arcadian, Long Legs, Lords of War, sequel to my least favorite movie we've ever watched, and The Surfer. Yeah. 
Long legs, I really hope, is an equivalent of eight-legged freaks, but with Nicolas Cage. No, FBI agent Lee Harker is assigned to an unsolved serial killer case that takes unexpected turns, revealing evidence of the occult. Harker discovers a personal connection to the killer and must stop him before he strikes again. Oh, is the occult going to summon a spider? I don't know. Who else? That'd be is cool. Is there anybody else attached to it? Oh, Alicia Witt is the next. I don't know who she is. Blair Underwood, I've seen before. Dakota Dolby? Uh-huh. I think we've seen him before. Or he could be any other generic. Yeah, he's just another generic face. Never mind. Okay. I do that a lot in these movies where I think I've seen that guy. I'm like, oh, it's that guy who's been in everything. I'm starting to realize that Hollywood just casts the same looking fella for the same role over and over again, don't they? Yeah. It's never the same guy. It, yeah. And then I'm sure every single one of them thinks, oh, finally, it's my big break. So just to bring it back into, here's my segue. Speaking of no-name actors, the two main people in this one at the beginning, which is the son-in-law and the daughter, I, I think it's always a bad sign. And I think it's a, a rule that you should follow, that you should never have the same name as your character for Ashley. Abby pointed that out instantaneously. Yeah. It's just... I don't know how she knew it. Oh, she was in Twilight. That's how she oh. knew it. But Abby instantly said, it's not just her name. Yeah. Yeah. And her husband, and neither one of them, I'm like, they, neither one of them could act. The whole first scene was just a waste of, I don't know what they're doing. Did the husband get killed at some point? And I just didn't care enough to remember. They He must got killed pretty early on, right? They uh, never showed him getting killed. So who knows what happened oh. to him? I think they had a choice between telling you whether or not he got killed or giving um, a 20-minute monologue at the end explaining the intricacies of how dirty politics works. But he's the good guy. He's the worry. good guy. Yeah, that's also a good sign of a movie when you have a guy at the end that kind of gives you a monologue to explain why everything happened the way it happened because you couldn't have figured it out from what If you can't figure it out from watching it, what are you doing? Well, even the, the whole like, oh, she knows he's feeding him information. You waited a really long time to reveal that, it feels like. You waited until he was about to shoot you. And this is you guys are, they're always bad. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> and I'm not saying that there aren't incompetent people at every job. I always find it hard to believe when they portray the head of an FBI office as so incompetent that not only do they allow someone to continue to be a mole, they wait until the mole reveals himself. It defeats the purpose of knowing he's a mole the whole time. Yeah. They're just bad at their jobs every single time. Well, then they started playing that little thing where both of them are on the phone. Or who are you on the phone with? Nobody, nobody, nobody. And they're going back and forth and they're like trying to show they're playing this multi-level game. But I'd also say somebody bad at their job that mole. When does the mole tell the guy that this, that Nicholas Cage, the guy that they're messing around with, isn't Rambo? It's the guy that trained Rambo and do not engage with him. He doesn't. As soon as he finds this information out, he doesn't immediately call the person who could have him killed as paying his paycheck. Instead, he waits for her to call him while he's sitting at a desk, not doing anything. And she goes, I'm moving in on it. No, don't do that. I would think I would have called him back and said, You're. I don't care what else is going on. You're done because that's a piece of information that maybe I should have had a text. They're not texting either. I don't understand this whole movie. I will say some great character work. Okay. The FBI agent knew he didn't like mustard. So she doesn't get mustard on a hot dog. Uh -huh. She gets him out of the car. She makes a phone call. The phone call ends up just being her confirming that what apparently they already know, which is he's a mole. So it's just for our benefit. Oh, she's working on a lot of levels there, man. And he's working on levels. And he thinks this whole movie was working on like 10 levels. And if they cut it down to three, it'd be a much better movie. It'd probably have four critical reviews. Also, my also new favorite thing is that the zip drive is the new version of the briefcase. 
That's all you need. That's all you need. You just need something that everyone's after. Do they not use the cloud? I Well, they don't text either. I mean, they don't do anything. They're all just using their phones for... So I'm a, a multinational criminal syndication. I keep all my finances on the same zip drive. On a thumb drive. That can be taken out of a computer, walked away. That thing's not like sealed. Because it starts with a heist, right? And then this other dude gets shot. And no one cares. No one cares at all that the other guy got shot and killed. Never mentioned again. I don't know who he is. I don't even think they say his name. He's dead. But they steal from a warehouse. They still no, because that house is the place where the Rorschach, that's Rorschach's office. Because they actually flash back to it. So they steal out of Rorschach's office, which they don't tell you about because they're basically mirroring. This is, once again, you can tell a bad writer when he, he's basically ripping off Tarantino's Reservoir Dogs, where you don't actually see the heist. You just see the end of the heist, but it's at the beginning of the movie, and then you never see those people again. So the guy then takes the body out of the car, leaves it laying next to the car, and then burns the car. Respect for the dead. Yeah, but I think it kind of, you've left every piece of identifying evidence. Why did he burn the car? Well, he burned the car because, you see, when the cops and Rorschach find it, they're going to be like, this is the guy who robbed us. He burned his car and then bled out, and that's it. That's the end. Sense. And you can't prove that there was a second guy yeah. unless you have a camera or any knowledge of what happened because the car's burned. Yeah. There's no DNA evidence left. That's true. Although they do find them then immediately afterwards. Immediately. There is no downtime. So, so are we got agent doing their bad job. We got the mole doing the bad job. So here comes the next thing doing the bad job. Although that led to a very funny scene. Um, guys that got robbed, the henchmen, they do a bad job because they tell the boss that they've been robbed. But that the first thing in your mouth, if you know who robbed you, wouldn't you say, hey, uh, Freddie, Freddie robbed us. But they never say that until he throws like three glasses at them. But that did give you well, the henchmen. But they're also synchronized henchmen. Because that was what Melissa, Melissa was saying. is like, watch it. Because every time he started, he wound up, he threw the glass. They all did the same move. And then they went back. And then they went through the move. The director has a very strong vision of what leaning away from the glass looks like. He's seen at least one guy do that. Move. Everyone in the room. Now I want to now because I already had to rent this uh -huh. twice because I got through half and then we postponed. So I got uh -huh. through the other half, but I waited till it expired. I can't rent it a third time. I bought, just it, for that. I bought this guy. I should. I should just buy him because it's like three dollars different. Well, it was also half price when I when I got in there. That's why I bought it because I was looking. Oh, good for you. Not all of us wait until after Black Friday, because we were supposed to record, I think, on Black Friday. Is that why it was less money? I forget this. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Or Cyber, Cyber Monday. Monday or yeah, it was like know. seven bucks. I'm just blaming you for I have like off. four or five. I have been. Um, I've got like four or five Nicholas. I've got a billion quiet collection because I look at them and I go, I can spend five dollars to rent one or spend twelve dollars and I have to worry about the 48 hours. But they're going to delist them and then you'll lose them all anyways. You're buying them on Blu-ray. Yeah. Look, in today's day and age, there's no such thing as owning a movie if you buy it digitally, okay? You got to buy the Blu-rays. Start investing back in laser discs. Because if I'm going to write off a movie as a loss, it's going to be the $20 million advertisement for the Caymans that no one cares oh, about. Man. Except for you, because you might be the only person who owned it. I might be in. It's worth it, man. Okay. I don't know. This whole thing is just was just a weird 
a weird movie to me. I did think the uh, the henchmen were pretty neat, though, because they're a nice collection of the one guy with the weird eyes, who kind of reminded me of the guy. I don't know if you remember the Golden Child. I don't. There's a guy in that too that was in a lot of movies too as a henchman, and he had weird eyes just like that guy. And then there was the guy that had. Are you talking about Ronick? Yeah. And then there's the guy when they were in the the scene when they're going up the elevator, and the one guy was so barrel chested that he had his hands straight out. He couldn't actually put his hands down, but next to his side. We're all stuntmen. Oh, were they? By the way, I'm looking at their their IMDb's. They're all stuntmen, or they're best known. Every single one of them. Yeah. I mean, that's good, right? Because if they got to speak a word, I think they get a certain amount of money. From no, the and that's also the reason why probably all those fights were good. Yeah. Those stunts were great. It did. I mean, some of the other stunts weren't bad. Uh, my favorite, my favorite bad stunt in the whole movie, though, besides Ron Perlman falling off the edge. What? It wasn't bad. Exactly. A 73-year-old man who's just been shot falls over the edge of a boat. So the part where they come running up and who was it? That, was it the, the, the granddaughter throws the gun to Nicolas Cage when he's on top of the boat and he yep. jumps and grabs the gun? And it's just obvious. Yep. Like, it's like, I, like they put him on a trampoline or something and they jump in the air. But he doesn't. He, he shoots a guy and then he stays underwater for like three minutes and then he wait does he shoot the guy man or does he wait till he's been underwater for three minutes to yeah shoot i think he someone? shoots him from from the water though right is that possible yeah it's after he's gone in the water because he it's not possible you can shoot one bullet i've seen the okay. mythbusters and i i know it's afterwards because i even said to abby i'm like i i'm gonna be upset if he shoots more than once he shoots because i am nothing but a stickler for the accuracy of underwater ballistics. I actually don't know how it holds up because they shot the gun under the water. I don't know how it would work if you went in the water and then came out. Well, the shot. other thing is, is he's shooting supposedly out of the water, but the water doesn't break. The water's completely still. So I'm not sure how that happened either. That that entire mm -hmm. that entire sequence was just, obviously, I don't think the director consulted the stuntman for any of that. He just shot it. Well, they were already dead. So they probably died in the first two days of filming so they could save money <laughs> on the accommodations. Ugh. Look, your dad killed all the people. I can't get over that. I I rewatched the scene. It was just so funny. He just, oh. Because he's like, your dad didn't just kill people. He was the best <laughs> killer. What does that even mean? I feel like that happens a lot when the guys decide he's not just incest. He's a ghost. No one ever knew his name. Isn't that the whole point of a CIA assassin? And the ones you do find out the name, they just pretend like they weren't CIA yeah. assassins. He taught Rambo. What does that mean? Also, what a dated reference. This guy's references were... There's a Jerry Lewis telethon reference. Do you know even know what that means? I don't. I have no exactly. idea what you're talking about. Right and that now. was like the other... How old is huh? Tim Brown? Sorry, I'm looking up how old he is. Who is that? Jerry Lewis... Jerry, Jerry Lewis was a comedian with Dean Martin. He was part of like around Frank Sinatra's time. I know. And he two did of those the names. MDA. He oh. did the muscular dystrophy telethon every year. Oh, is that where he'd be talking and there'd be people? Oh, yeah, up the, the, yeah, in the, in the background, background. He'd be picking up the phones and they, he'd just keep going for the entire weekend. See, that's this is how old uh -huh. that reference is. Is that was an old reference when I first yeah. saw it. It was a reference to a thing I did not understand when I first saw it, which was. A really they, long time ago, when I was a quit, child. Yeah, they quit doing it before you were even born. I remember the telephone from when I was a kid. It was a big thing back then, but I don't. Yeah, it's I. 
the whole thing is it, once again, I think it, it really feels like the, it's one of these guys that's trying to be do Quentin Tarantino in some ways. He's trying to do three other things too, and they never he never finds it. It's not a comedy, it's not an action movie. Um, Ron Perlman. So it was so set up for him to be the good guy. I think what happened was he didn't didn't want to change his script, and Ron Perlman came in and did a great job, and he wasn't expecting anybody to like that guy as much. Then they have like little funny things, like when they dump the body over in, into the Cayman Trench, or I forgot whose body they dumped. They dumped like the kill the son Rorschach's son. Yeah, his always oh, his, his half brother. That was it. His yeah. half brother that Bobo's upset that he has to yeah, work and with. They, and Nicholas Cage kills him at the when when they first abduct the the granddaughter because for some reason he leaves. Okay, that was legitimately. Yeah, funny, that was though. It <laughs> was the dumbest setup. It it was just it was one of those moments. It it was like I can't think of a way that he gets the daughter that makes sense. What if Nicolas Cage pulls up to the house so everyone can uh-huh. see them both, backs up the car three feet, so then she's hidden by a bush and no one sees her, and then leaves the keys in the car? Going? What are we doing, Nicolas Cage? And then Ron Perlman hops in and just and drives and off. Ron Perlman hops into that car. Where's Ron Perlman's car? They drove a van up there. Well, they, they do it like a reveal. They do it like Then Ron Perlman calls Rorschach, and he's like, oh, are you? He killed, he killed whatever, your uh-huh. brother. Uh, yeah, he killed everyone. I don't know who this guy is. Do you know who this guy is? Oh, and by the way, I got the daughter. And then it pans over to the daughter. Like they, he really wanted a he big did. reveal. He, if you make everything a big reveal, one of them's going to Well, stay. and then, then Perlman also during that thing calls, he was, is an old man, a really, really, he keeps calling, making sure that we all know Nicholas Cage is really, really old, old, old Nicholas Cage. <laughs> it's like Nick, Nicholas Cage looks like he's in his yeah, 50s. Next to Nick, next, next to Ron Perlman, he looks like he's like, like a teenager. Somehow his hair made him look younger. I think it's because it's not the, it's not actual gray hair. It's like the yeah. silver that like people dye their hair now. I think it just made him look younger. He, he had a good beard though. Good beard. And then yeah. also, I mean, then the whole writing thing is then he calls his boss and says, hey, I need you to find out about these people who just happen to be the people that you're, you've been following. I just, it just keeps, I don't know. And then no. there's just the, the, the obvious vacation spot things too, where like when they come in, the bad guys come into the, into the lobby of the hotel. You can tell it's like somebody just, they said, I think we're going to film here today. You guys just go about your business. We'll just film these guys walking up to the phone and calling people and saying, where are you at? Why is everyone still using like phones too? Like the FBI agent, I think calls are on the landline of the yeah. FBI. Those things aren't constantly recorded. They don't even have to be. I'm not even asking sincerely if they are or are not. As a viewer, I assume the FBI records its own phone calls and probably flags it when there's a call from a notorious yeah. drug dealer. Who is, okay. This is, my, this is my last complaint about it. You meet Hector, who's a woman, 30 seconds after you, you hear the name Hector. They introduce her by having another woman who stole from her, which one of my least favorite TV, it's not even a TV trope. If you're going to work for a criminal, you don't steal from the criminal. Yeah. That's basic. You know, try to steal from a company, not the drug dealer who murders people. That, that just seems like common sense. The woman still works for Hector because Hector brought her husband who, so they have a daughter because she references that for whatever reason. 
kills the husband by dropping him in the ocean right next to where his body's going to wash up on her on her beach and then says you're never gonna steal from me again but you still work for me why what why do you want her working for you just kill her too you can't find another accountant she's not good at it apparently why would you steal from a criminal if you're gonna work for a criminal why steal from the criminal everything was supposed to be a plot twist every single moment i feel like was set up to be a big reveal and none of them were I mean, in the end, shootout thing was stupid. At the, I don't know, it was kind of fun. And they got to the big shootout where he where he rescues his daughter and granddaughter, and it's over with. The fight scenes were fun, or the couple were. I did like the little thing where he says, "I'm a you open the door, I'm gonna grab the guy, and then shut the door right yeah. away." Yeah, I thought it was funny when they throw the guy over the balcony. They yeah. run out. And then they get like halfway down the staircase and then someone else is coming up. So they run back to try to do the exact same thing again. It, it felt like a video <laughs> game. Uh, I don't know. Say, okay, you know what? Let's bail on our idea for the Metacritic. So I don't agree with these four user ratings. What would you give this Metacritic? We have to use a hundred point scale. It doesn't have to be Metacritic. What's your hundred point rating for this? I'll give it a 40. Does 40. it sound good? So do you grade on a scale like like apparently movie reviewers do where since it's admitting that's a, a B-rate shitty movie, it gets graded nicer than if he was trying to be yeah, serious? Yeah, I think so. Because I think I think it's, okay. uh, I think a lot of times when they've said criticism, one of the best things you can do with criticism is you try to see what the person was trying to achieve and how well they achieved their goal. And I think they were trying to make a fun little movie and was badly executed all the way across by the director or writer in every way, shape, and form. But there's about six, five or six actors in it who did, and two or three especially, who did a really good job. Okay. I'm going to give it a 60. I'm watching the trailer, which is just the fight scenes. And two scenes just popped up. The one where he punches the guy uh-huh. in the neck in the middle of the hotel room and then mocks him, uh-huh. not being <laughs> able to breathe. Good... And then the flare gun into the mouth. He gets a flare gun and they go, will this even kill anyone? And he goes, maybe light him on fire. So what does Nicolas Cage do? He puts it in the mouth of someone and then shoots it. That's a 12 gauge. It's a shotgun round. Well, no. Shot him for my my graduation. (laughs) There. Oh, so I'm giving it a 60. And I'm only giving, I am only giving five points of the 40 to the actors. Everything else goes to Tim Brown for making a, what could have been a really great movie, even Thanks. worse. Okay. Yeah. But I, in the actors, I would give, I think that, I think the granddaughter did a pretty good job with what she was given. Her stuff with, uh, was fun with Ron Perlman. The, the act, the actors, I, well, I didn't like the, the, I didn't like Hector, but she really doesn't do a horrible job. It just wasn't great. Yeah. She's a, she's a TV villain and it was up to the level of a TV. Everyone, I don't, this was written like an hour-long TV yeah. episode. I think it was in my notes. One of my notes was, I think everything that this person, that the the guy that wrote this movie knows about organized crime or any crime whatsoever was off of Wikipedia and off of CSI. Yeah, that's, it really does feel like, it feels like an hour of it was setting up what what normally would be established during a first season, and this would have been the season finale. Of yeah, the and we show. didn't. That probably gets canceled. Yeah, and we don't afterwards. need that. I mean, they, they could have cut, but then again, they would have had to spend more money. I think that's the other thing is what we don't realize is 
This was shot for under $20 million. The set pieces were to park in the hotel and about three other places where they actually did anything was where the money was spent. And everything else, it's really cheap to have Rick Fox sit in the conference room and pretend to be a mayor. And it's really cheap to have, you know, um, Ernie, uh, one of the other people, like, looking like Jackie Earl Haley. He was in, like, I think one conference room, but they moved around three different ways. And he made a phone call. It's, it's, it's just so cheap to put somebody in a room, put some lighting on them, and then have them talk. This is, it was cheaper to make this movie than a season of Law and Order. It's the more efficient yes. way, according yeah. to Forbes. It's probably, yeah. It's, it, it, I mean, less money, more money than this is probably spent on most uh, prestige shows for an episode. Oh, yeah. What is a Ring of Power is what a billion dollars over yes. five seasons or something? Uh -huh. And I would, I would watch, I'd watch five seasons of this. I, the Ring of Power was just, I keep going back. There's like two cool moments uh -huh. in it. And then I just go back to my thoughts. You shouldn't, you can't write. You can't write Lord of the Rings. No one else can write it. Stop trying. I, I was, I went just back stop. and watched it. I thought it was, there was some really good stuff in it though. I was really, I was really I surprised. It was, it was cool that uh -huh. Mordor, I thought Mordor was cool. And I thought Sauron's um, dialogue with Galadriel was cool. And it had a really cool reference. To how she'll be tempted one more time, and then in the fellowship, it's the most terrifying scene that's ever been on TV. <laughs> it's when I, I had nightmares about Gladriel being tempted by the ring. For I, I might still have them. It, it's terrifying to me. Yeah. Actually. Well, because we went to go see it in the movie theater, the first time you see it, the first time you see it, the 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 thing that Peter Jackson does that people don't realize. And I think it was also with the King Kong movie too. We've talked about the sound. When when her voice comes, I mean, the vi the visuals were striking. Although if you go back and look at the visuals now, the Lord of the Rings, they aren't nearly as good as I remember them. They are, but the visuals were really cool. But her voice and the sound behind it is just in the movie theater was deafening and scary. And it it you don't think the visuals hold up? I think they look. I mean, because he just used it so sparingly. Maybe it just stands out more because what I remember, you know, is. The hundred thousand pieces of chainmail yeah. he made, not the cave troll in the first movie. I think it was the first time somebody really seriously did a, a fantasy and the dressings and how everything looked, and it was really naturalistic. And I think if you go back and look at it, you kind of realize that these guys were out trapped out in the middle of nowhere making the movie. I think it kind of shows a little bit. I don't know. I went back and I watched some of it, and then the the special effects are. It holds up, though. You, I mean, it doesn't detract from the movie, I think, at all, unless you really start picking it apart. I don't know, because that was the only thing with Rings of Power. I felt like they went backwards with all the special effects. It kind of blew my mind how a lot of the things didn't look as good as I wanted them to. I don't know. I think he just... I don't know. Well, I think I, I like I like all the aesthetics in it and all the mm -hmm. armor and how you distinct each, not faction, each countryman's even the men all look different depending on where yeah. they're from. I think I was focusing on Legolas. I think that was really where I was. Legolas, the, yeah, the elves. That elf. I don't know. Did you know that he only got paid like 70 or like $175,000 or something for that movie? It's some, he made basically no money playing yeah. Legolas. But who, I mean, he's Legolas now. But then he was, yeah. then he was, you know, Pirates of Caribbean and I'm sure made millions and millions. Oh. Okay. Yeah.
I don't even know. Well, how do we get here? Oh, we were talking about whether or not uh, we we're talking about uh, the the budget. Hundred and seventy five thousand is how much he made, and he said, "I'd do it again for half the money." Yes, of course you would. would. Oh, I mean, I would do it half. I'd do it if that was the only movie I ever made. I'd do it again for half the money right now. I mean, what, I'm gonna go live, be in New yeah. Zealand, and have, I'll be able to call. The filming was crazy though, because I think it was three years straight of shooting. Yeah. They were saying like they they moved to yeah. New Zealand. Well, I mean, everyone. You can't even get a movie made like that because I do need to get approved for a second movie. Imagine how much money they would have saved making Doomed Part Two. I one I would have already yeah, seen be the it. first thing, and two it would have been way cheaper if you didn't have to send everyone away and like throw all the sets into storage and pull everyone back in. You could just film it. I would say through. if you're that worried about not making up your money on on the Dune movie with with Villanueva filming it after all the stuff he's done before, if you're that worried about it, don't make the movie. Let somebody else do it. If you're a if you're a, a movie house, sell it. Oh, well, the movie in the 80s. Well, you know, you put a sting in it. I don't know. I, I, They want to blame it on Dune source material. And I, I, maybe, maybe, just hear me out. Maybe you just picked a bad visionary to go for it. Oh, on the, on the original one? Yeah, well, David Lynch was a bad. Well, yeah, but, it's a bad call. But the, the, the company made was Dino De Laurentiis, who, was, who also made things like Flash Gordon. Um, he, he, was, he just made campy stuff. It was right in line with everything that that guy ever made. So that's just what he, that's not. I know, but they, they act like it's because it's Dune. I'm not saying that the next three books would not be incredibly challenging to translate well to the screen. It would make zero sense. I would love to see The Worm yeah. Emperor. I would, I would love to see that. I don't think I'm going to get there. But the first book is just. It, yeah, it's, it's. You can write it's a movie. It's, I mean, you don't have to do anything. And he already showed that. You don't have to do anything. You just have to get the good special effects. Yeah, I think it was that quote that uh, Ela, I, I really hope the next the next two movies do well because what I really want to see is a four-hour argument of philosophy between <laughs> a worm and Jason Momoa. I, I want to see them. I also, I want to see them make, try to make it interesting. I want to see them try to make, you know, what is essentially a, like a medieval uh-huh. court. Like people positioning their families and everything. Interesting on a large scale. Nothing really happens in the second no. one. I mean, there's there's bits and pieces. There's, well, action. the thing is with the action, he never goes into detail with it. Like there's an attack, a couple of the attacks that happen on Paul Atreides um, they are large scale battle scenes. So when he films them, they'll do the same thing he did when like when when the Harkonnens attacked the trees. I mean, that's a large battle scene, but he shrinks that all down into just simply what happens to the people. So a good director can yeah, can stretch that stuff out, give you some nice things going on in the background while they're talking to each other. Isn't the God Emperor dying just one of the most anticlimactic disappointments? I don't know. I wasn't even disappointed with how sudden and boring his death was because it's uh-huh. so fitting. But you had said this to me before I read it, and then I agreed with you afterwards. I nothing happens in the four hundred and some pages yeah. and you this read. Is, there's there's nothing. We that should talk. Happens. This is the fourth book. It's interesting. It's, but it's the fourth nothing. book. The fourth, and it's yeah. set because the first three books happen pretty much bam, bam, bam within probably twenty years, I think, of each other. 
And then the last, I'm going to skip 3,000 to the fourth book. Right. Yeah. So, um, and nothing happens, nothing transpires in this 400. And it is a, a philosophy argument between Jason Momoa and a worm dude. And then at the end of the book, yeah. he dies. He gets water, mm -hmm. he gets some water sprinkled on him, falls in a, gets his cart blown up. Falls off a bridge. Down. They blow up the yeah. bridge and he falls into the, yeah, it's. And beauty kills the beast once again. Derivative. That's it. I'm declaring all of Dune derivative. All Absolutely. Yes. King Kong. It's all set up for a King Kong reference. Okay. We should probably, we've gone more about Dune, I think, and Lord of the Rings than That's the fine. movie. So. Okay. Let's do a quick. You said 60. We'll go with a 40. Yeah. We'll do so 50 in between. Sure, why not? Yeah. So you want to go with 40 for the writer director here? And then no points to Nicolas Cage, obviously. I would say no points to, to Perlman. I don't even know if I want to give 10 points to the actors. Like I, like I said, they all... The husband with... Knowing what they uh, were in, they all lived up to the, what I would expect. The husband, I didn't like the husband. I think he's pretty boring. I mean, the problem is the husband and the daughter were both obviously just TV actors. I thought the daughter was one that... I thought she did better than like Joel David Moore. I don't even remember the husband. Yeah. I don't know who no, this guy a, is. I, I shouldn't say that. That's the worst thing about doing this right now is we're talking bad about people that we don't know. And it's... <laughs> We have a wildly successful podcast. People tune in to hear us talk about how easy it would be to make a movie. And I will stand by. I think I can make at least the quality of one of these Nicolas Cage movies. I think we could. I think. I think, I could I think do if it they once. gave us a pass over the script, we could probably definitely. This one, Primal, that's another one. When he was the big game hunter. I do it for half the budget. You just, you don't, don't pay me. You know, I'm in it for the love of the sport and showing that Nicolas Cage can literally make yes. any movie good. All right. So you want to give him 10 or you want to just give the full 50 to the writer and director and just be done? No, I'd give the full 50 to have dumb references yeah. too. There we go. Well, I think that's the end of this episode. Uh, thank you once again for joining us with the Cage Equation uh, with Malcolm Mickelson and me, Drake Mickelson. And until the next time, we don't have one picked yet, but we're going to have one soon. And we will try to crank out a couple more real quick for you um until then thank you very much for listening and you're welcome nicholas cage for once again we have proven you are perfection